When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hokey religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm your host, Adam Russell. <laughs> I'm your host, Ryan Keed. I'm still laughing at something very uh, inappropriate for the podcast's ears that was said the minute before the music rolled. Did I say I'm your host, Ryan Key? Yeah, great. <laughs> Adam's got jokes. Hey, I'm Nick. How are you all? And we'd like to welcome a special guest, Bob Saget. Psych, he's not really here. <laughs> uh, it's actually AMA time again. It's that time of year, kids. Or month, or whatever. It's that time of the month. <laughs> uh, we're all kind of loopy right now. Yeah. We're just drunk on chaos Yeah. Uh, in the world. Absolute chaos. Humans making chaos. I have rats in my house that are <laughs> eating all of my stuff, costing me thousands of dollars. That kind of chaos, too. Rats and humans <laughs> living together. Mass hysteria. Yeah, sorry about your hockey gear, man. Brutal. Because you know what, too? Like, we were cleaning. We were throwing some shoes away, some bags away, stuff that got chewed up. And the last thing that we went through yesterday was my hockey bag that has like $2,000 worth of gear in it. And it just has all piss, poop, and then oh, just chewed up. So I got to wash it all and see what's salvageable, but it's an expensive, it's an expensive sport. It is. I'm in Florida now. When I lived in Nashville, I played hockey when I was home, not traveling and touring every Friday night, but I'm in Florida now and I don't have any hockey buds here, but I don't think my shit will fit you. Yeah, probably You're not. taller than me. Am I? I don't know. No, How tall are you? I'm 5'9". Dude, I could send you my shit. It might fit. I might need to get out of here. I might just come to Florida and pick it up. <laughs> dude, I've told you both. The beach house is open, my dudes. Come on down. I'm going to have a friend 3D print me a helmet so we can hang out in close quarters and be safe. Okay. Good idea. Let's answer some questions. Let's do it. We're just going to get straight into it. Boom. As always, we went to the Jedi tier patrons to get these AMA questions. Soon, though... We're going to be making some changes. We're pretty set on making a change that would not only make things like AMAs more fun, but also make the whole Patreon thing a little more accessible to some more folks. We're going to have some more fun, interactive kind of things, just more benefits and cooler stuff. And we're going to simplify the whole thing. And I think we're all pretty stoked about it. I think we would call it an overhaul. Yeah. I'm excited about it. Some of the stuff we've talked about doing. So get stoked. I'm stoked. I'm ready. All right. Here we go with Robert Solomita. Would you rather be a Gungan or an Ewok? Depends on whether or not you still want to show your face. (laughs) I went with Ewok because I just don't do well with cold water, dude. And I know there's nobody to tell me what the temperature of that water on Naboo is. I don't, you're going to have to be in the water a lot. Ewok, I buy Adam's theory about eating human flesh that maybe it's a little weird, but I honestly choosing species, if it wasn't, if like, cause it's not cannibalism at that point, cause you're, you're an Ewok. So if you're asking me to choose a life of redwood forests, cute, furry, savage beasts versus slimy, cold water dwelling, maybe cold water. They might be cold blooded. Yeah. Even worse. Even you worse. Maybe strange, <laughs> somewhat racist, accent bearing species i'm gonna go with small vicious bear every time not a lot of pros <laughs> on your list there not there's not a lot of gungan pros for me you got significant shrinkage you've got um, <laughs> all the other stuff here's why i'm gonna go with the opposite and i'm gonna go gungan i'm already hairy enough i don't need to pick another <laughs> you've lived life as an ewok another, for this long life is hell already being hairy i love this show <laughs> I don't need to get any shorter. <laughs> so I'm going Gungan. I want to swim. All right. The accent ain't great. But. <laughs> Maybe they don't all have that accent if they're not, yeah. if they've traveled, you know, 
we've seen species throughout the Star Wars universe that are the same species that sound different. So maybe, yeah. maybe they saw all don't sound the same. You saw in big doo-doo. It doesn't have to be your voice. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Why? Why did you have to go there, man? This is a podcast about positive vibes. That was a good, that was a positive vibe on my end. I loved it. I mean, I'm smiling, I guess. I guess it counts <laughs> as positivity. I'm going to go with Ewok as well. They're just the cutest, most seemingly innocent, little, brutal savages in the galaxy. <laughs> I think <laughs> they're just badass. I think you just want to get in that village so you can ask the chief or whatever, whatever nomenclature is used to describe the boss who the lady was. Yeah, that, they ate that, that lady. I'm saying. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know. And I love the woods. So there's my answer. Man of the woods, <laughs> Justin Timberlake. Kevin Koryanov wants to know. Which of the new Legacy Saber choices would we vote for in the latest Shop Disney poll? So if anyone doesn't know what the hell he's talking about, there are six new lightsaber, not new designs, but designs from the Star Wars universe, one of which is going to become available at Galaxy's Edge, right? Or just Shop Disney. At Galaxy's Edge as well. Yeah. The winner will be available at Doc Ondar's. Yeah, I would, I would assume it's for Galaxy's Edge, but I'm sure it'll be available on the website too. The six choices are Cal Kestis from Fallen Order, the Attack of the Clones Anakin Skywalker Saber, Kanan Jarrus from Rebels, Qui-Gon Jinn from The Phantom Menace, of course, Ezra Bridger from Rebels, and Lord Corvax from the Vader Immortal VR experience. Can we talk about how cool Star Wars is that a character from a video game is important enough to be included in a poll? Two of them. Two of them. Yeah. That's just awesome. Yeah. However, my choice does not go to the video game characters. If you have seen me in public much ever, you're aware that there's pretty much one scheme of fabric color to the clothing that I am wearing, and it tends to be all black, everything, all the time. All black, everything. That Qui-Gon saber is just sick nasty. And not only do I hope it wins, if it wins, I will have it in my home. (laughs) It will so, be mine. Oh, yes, it will be mine. It's just like so that. unique being all black like that with the red switch. Like it's only it, yeah, that red button is really cool. It's funny too. Yeah. It, it almost has a Sith vibe to it. You know what I mean? It's it's dark, but I don't know. It's just slick, dude. Look at me giving some love to a prequel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I did actually vote and I voted for Qui-Gon. So I'll go with Qui-Gon also. I believe Cal is winning though. So that just shows you the. Uh, That's the so sick. I love that. Impact of Fallen Order video game. I love that. Are we just really predictable? Are we just the same three dudes despite... <laughs> I mean, our, the best one is the best one. That's... I mean, he's the most underrated Jedi, and it's a, just a great design. It does look a little 90s to me. Yeah, also, Adam has mad love for Qui-Gon. We know this. Yeah. Everyone listening knows this. He's the shit. So I'm going to go with Qui-Gon. I, Kanan and Ezra's, I think, are both kind of whack. They're forgettable. Yeah. Uh, Ezra's, like, stapler one... I still wouldn't want it. The one that's like also sort of like a blaster, you know, yeah. but it looks like one of those big staplers. Yeah. Um, they didn't go with that one. So I don't know. Yeah. I just said Qui-Gon's the best one. I think I, I, as opposed to like picking the coolest one, I just like Qui-Gon the most of the people on yeah, this list. Same. I also like that. It's just like a straight cylinder with some detail. Yeah, it's you know, it's like, it's got a classic shape and vibe, but it's got a unique and, and kind of new color scheme, you know, little flare. Yeah. Also, that Lord Corvax one is just so medieval fantasy. Mm-hmm. Too, just, you know I don't fuck with dragons, so that's it's just too <laughs> much of that for me. And uh, Cal's is tight, but I yeah. with the like the pommel blown off, I don't think that's something I would like play with in real life. I'd be like cutting myself. I'd be like that old cell phone commercial with Bill Hader where he's cutting his fingertip on his broken yeah. phone screen. So good. <laughs> yeah. So good. His sabers, it's just sick in the game, the, how you customize it and stuff. That's kind of like the one you start with before you're able to really upgrade and customize the, the saber throughout the game. I can't wait to get a GPU so I can actually play that game for real. I played like the first, I don't know, half hour of it, Same. but I had all my settings fully turned down and it, it looked like PlayStation 1 and I couldn't <laughs> handle it. I legit played 30 minutes of it and never played it again. I don't know why. I, I'm being very, very weird about playing the game. Like, I know <laughs> I'm going to get sucked into it, so I don't do it. And yeah. that's how I was in general with video games. But Pandemic was like prime video game time. So my buddy gave me an extra PS4 that he had. But I mostly played like NHL because it was like fun and non-committal. I played 30 minutes of Fallen Order, and I think I didn't breathe for 30 minutes. <laughs> I was like so into it that I yeah. was like, I can't. I can't do this. It's pretty amazing. I got. I have... Uh, I got way in and played a lot. I got through kind of the first really big, super challenging boss fight 
I, dude, I can't consider myself a gamer, even though I play a lot of games, because to be a gamer, you play way more games than I play. You know what I mean? Like I'm all about it and I've got all the cool gear because I'm 40 and I can afford to buy stuff that I want to buy when it comes to video games, you know, like, and so I have the cool shit and, and I love doing it. And I, I only say that cause you know, when you're a kid and you want, and you want something, you just can't get it. And I always have this thing about being an, an adult. Like when I'm playing Warzone, call of duty, it's like, yeah, I'm just going to buy the battle pass thing or whatever to get the extra pl- you know, the XP points and everything. I'm a grown up. I'll do what I want. Cause I can buy, I'm, I'm 40. I can spend 50 bucks and buy them, you know? Anyways, point being that, so I have all this really cool shit and I saw the best meme the other day that someone in my, one of the group chats I'm in about with for call of duty, I play almost every night with the guys in this wildlife. And, um, one of them sent a thing about it was like a super dweeby kid sitting at his computer looking at the camera and the the meme caption was like sitting at my $2,800 PC for my 0.26 KD, which means like kill death ratio, which means you're (laughs) terrible at the game. And I'm not like a whole lot better than that. And I do have a really sweet PC, but I'm saying all this because I got into that game hard. As you said, Nick, I was like, just hours. It was just sucking hours out of my life. And I got to this kind of like one point that took me like 60 tries to beat this boss. (laughs) It was so, it's so hard, but it's such a good game that you just, it never makes you want to give up. You know, you're never like from my understanding. And I believe maybe I've even gotten this from you a little bit and some other friends that I have that game. There's no hours in the day to really do it besides late, right? Like (laughs) most people are up until 4 a.m. That's that's my problem. That's my problem. I think that that might be at least people, you know, maybe because of my age group or our age group, like that is the only time that you could like get away from work, get away from kids, whatever. And it's just, that's daunting to me. I don't know. I get pretty upset with myself when I see what time it is that I'm <laughs> turning off a video game that I'm playing yeah. online with my friends like <laughs> I'm 13 in an AOL chat room. Yeah. Nerd alert. In 1994. <laughs> Anyways, moving on. Joe Modic wants to know the last show that we went to before the pandemic. His last show was The Strokes. That's cool. That was probably a pretty cool show, Joe. That's really cool. Uh, mine's pretty freaking sweet, actually, if you're into this kind of thing, which you may not be. A lot of people probably aren't actually, but I have no problem talking about how much I love Coldplay. I, I just, I love Coldplay. Love Coldplay. Controversial, almost. I feel that way about the killers. In the rock like, world. Love the killers, dude. I love the killers so much. Love it. And like, they get passed off as like just a popular pop band. It's like, no, they're kind of like our generation, especially like touring people's like, I don't want to say the Stones, but like they've been around for decades at this point and still continue to crush it and sell arenas out, which is rare right now for a rock band. Dude, that halftime thing they did the other night, yeah, yeah. they sounded as good as they've ever sounded, like yeah, ever. It was, it was freaking amazing. I, bands never sound good on TV. They sounded <laughs> yeah. so good. But yeah, I love Coldplay. And uh, it's, you know, those first couple records were just really um, influential for me. Uh, parachutes and uh, uh, Rush of Blood to the Head in the early, late 90s, early 2000s when all that started coming out. Yellow Card got signed to Capitol Records. Coldplay was on Capitol Records in the States. You know, I've always liked acoustic-driven singer-songwriter type music. And back then, we didn't know what Coldplay was going to... We didn't know they were going to be doing guest features with Beyonce. You know what I mean? Like, the band has has evolved and changed, obviously, like, so much. It's... They, they have... I have never compared them to Radiohead. I never understood the comparison to Radiohead. But I would compare their evolution to Radiohead in that they've just really evolved into whatever it is that they are now compared to what they started out as. Mm -hmm. But all that said, the last show I went to before the pandemic was in February uh, when I was living in Los Angeles, where I thought I was going to spend the rest of my days before the pandemic because I moved all the way out there with all of my things. The before times. The before times. I keep seeing people call it the before times. I like that. But I scored tickets to see. So Coldplay did not tour on Everyday Life, their last record, citing not wanting to increase carbon footprint uh, until they can figure out a greener way to tour. Fans were bummed, but they did do a select few shows in you know London, New York, LA, that kind of thing. And I got tickets to see them at the Hollywood Palladium. And it was really unbelievable. I mean, dude, it was like, I've only ever seen Coldplay at Madison Square Garden or in a, in a football stadium. So 
seeing them at the Palladium on a, on the stage, and uh, dude, it was just yeah, it's like three thousand people at the most, right? Or maybe a little bit more. So than I think that. it's four thousand, but whatever. Okay. If I never get to go to another show again, I couldn't be happier that that was my last experience because they are <laughs> one of my all time favorite bands. Very sick, Joe, that The Strokes was your last show. I saw The Strokes on, like, basically last night was their the first single. I saw them on Long Island for 92 cents because the radio station, 92.3, was doing, like, a promo. So I saw them at the Vanderbilt, which was, uh, like, 1,500-capacity venue. So I saw The Strokes, 1,500-capacity venue for 92 cents. <laughs> sick. Very sick. That's so radio. <laughs> yeah. My last show was legit the week of lockdown. I saw White Reaper on the Sunday, like March, whatever, before like the world went to shit, like ground zero for the pandemic. I saw White Reaper that Sunday at the Troubadour in L.A. Wow. I'm glad I got that one in. They've been one of my like favorite bands. I mean, they have to have, you know, two, three records out, but they're really coming into their own now. And they just if you don't know them, like the vocals are amazing. They have like great dueling guitars, kind of like Thin Lizzy-ish, but they write great songs too. So as far as like guitar-based band music goes, White Reapers should be a lot bigger than they are. So I was stoked to see them in the Troubadour again. That's like, I don't know, 450 people, something like that. Legendary venue. And they crushed it. They were a great band. Like, you know, when you get in the studio and you might just like, maybe you're just four or five piece, but you keep adding other instruments and all this stuff. So it just sounds like not a different band, but something that you can't necessarily replicate on stage because there's only four people. White Reaper sounded like the record because everything basically that's on the record was done by the five people in the band. So yeah, it was great. It was awesome. And like I said, it was it was legitimate, like the chatter in the troubadour in between bands and songs was people talking about the pandemic, like starting talking about like COVID and stuff. So I straight up like was, a cold open of a of a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Like I, it was like a day zero of the pandemic. Like yes. that week, things closed down. So Nuts. dope. <laughs> <laughs> Happy days. <laughs> I I'm like I have such bad memory temporarily. All the time, I'm like to my wife, like, yeah, you know, like I don't know, a couple months ago when we saw so and so at so and so place, she's like, yeah, in like 2018, and I'm like, <laughs> really? She's like, yeah, that was two years ago. Are you on drugs? <laughs> That's like every other day of my life I say some shit like that. So this was really hard for me. I just had to look back through my pictures on my phone. I think it was He is Legend and Atreyu at the Ready Room in St. Louis. Both those bands are really, really good friends of our band. Known those dudes forever. Did you tour with them? Yeah. We didn't tour with Atreyu until like kind of later, like Taste of Chaos days, but broke down like pretty quickly and he is legend we brought them on tour in like 2005 just because we thought they were sweet and we're like dude these guys are probably gonna fucking hate us because they're the sweet (laughs) like southern metal weird emo combo and it was totally the opposite we became super good friends we had that same vibe with pierce the veil in europe we're on tour with the day to remember and pierce the veil and us were sharing a bus and we didn't know just didn't know each other and we're like who are these who are these kids and they were like who are these grumpy old guys and then we just like totally broke down and that's we've dope. stayed in touch ever since then. Same with us and Saves the Day. We shared a bus in Europe and we yeah. thought like, oh man, they're going to be like reading books and drinking tea <laughs> and yeah. being the legends of emo. And just, we were like, they're not going to be down with our vibe of yeah. pass me the bottle. Yeah. They're just not like, <laughs> and we were wrong. We were very wrong. And it was one of my favorite Europe tours of all time. And now I'm friends with Saves the Day. who's like one of the most influential bands on my yeah. time in yellow card for sure. So love when that happens. Dude, our, my band would not exist, would not be the band that we are without Saves the Day straight up. Yeah, mm-hmm. so many bands. And he's legend. They've become like one of my top five favorite bands of all time. They're so good, man. They just keep getting better. It's insane. I guess that's what happens when you just literally don't ever stop. But dude, the, the very first night when we brought them out on tour, it was like the first tour of our second album. So we all had like Page Avenue ego shit, like our production and like had fucking like 13 crew members and two buses and all this bullshit. And our production manager was a big strict like hothead kind of like, nope, they're off the fucking tour kind of dude. Yeah. And I was watching He's Legend play with this huge smile on my face because I'm into all that like swampy just I really like I grew up on Pantera and shit. So I, I love all that. Kind red of state rock. we call it. <laughs> <laughs> But anyway, so I just had this huge smile on my face and um, 
the guitar player, Adam Tambows, looks over at me, and right as the like swampy breakdown's about to come, he hawks this giant loogie towards me, and it hit me right on the shirt. Oh. I mean, I don't think it had boogers in it, but he spit <laughs> at us, and it hit me on the shirt. And I looked at it, and I was just like, oh, my God. I was like Ron Burgundy. Like, I'm not even yeah. mad. pooped in the refrigerator, and you ate a whole wheel of cheese? How'd you do that? It's actually, I'm not even mad. That's amazing. Somehow that was the one thing that like got all the respect. I was like, and I'm in on this band where the dice roll <laughs> from his perspective was probably like 90%. Probably I'll get kicked off the tour right now, but we'll see how this goes. Yeah. It was the complete opposite. We'll either be, we'll either be buds or we're fired. <laughs> <laughs> but they rule. Patrick Merton has a would you rather for us. He says, would you rather be the red one X-wing pilot in the rebel fleet, but your Iceman in present day Val Kilmer's body. <laughs> <laughs> Or you're Luke Skywalker, but you have to keep your powers hidden, and all you get to fly are cargo planes full of rubber dog shit out of Hong Kong. (laughs) Thank you, Patrick. I'm going to go with Luke because I've learned a lot in the pandemic about how to hang out by myself. (laughs) So seems like I'm good with it. Meaning if I could use my force powers at home just for convenient things, you know, I mean, like totally worth it right now. I need a refill on my wine if i could send this glass into my bar and pour the wine in it and bring it back using my mind i don't give a shit if no one ever gets to see that that's the coolest thing ever side note yeah i don't get to fly an x-wing but if i get to fly cargo planes full of rubber dog shit out of hong kong that means i get to learn how to fly that's pretty cool i'd take flight class and learn how to fly a cargo plane that's a big ass plane this is true and this and this shit doesn't stink it's rubber dog shit (laughs) so I'm going to go with Luke. In this scenario, rubber dog shit is a huge economy, booming economy. (laughs) It's a career. (laughs) Yeah, also, maybe I'm getting paid to fly the cargo planes, which means I would have a job. Yeah. That would be beneficial at 40. I'm definitely going with same as Ryan. I'm just going to be Luke keeping my force powers hidden because of the convenience, for sure. I could be like in a mall and use it. I don't have to like at home is one thing, like you said, which I totally thought of. But now I'm thinking you could just be out in public and do some magic and no one will know or people will be like, what the hell is that? Yeah. You know? Like, yeah. Right. I mean, hidden could just mean that no one can ever find out it's you. Yeah. You can't just be like, hey, everyone, check this out. So I'm definitely going with that one. I'm going to go with Iceman. <laughs> 100%. Dude, you might have trouble fitting in that cockpit, man. I mean, dude, I'd rather look like shit and have a sweet job <laughs> than be a skilled person suppressed by a soul-crushing job. I already know what that feels like. So, <laughs> uh, so you'd rather look like Von Kunth yes. and have an X-Wing. <laughs> yeah. Bryce Minter wants to know how we feel about Yoda's appearance in The Last Jedi. I assume he means physical appearance? I don't know. I, I took it as like the scene. Okay. Yeah, I think the scene. Uh, but maybe. I mean, and by the way, that's how I would have reacted to thinking about his appearance. I, I've learned on the podcast about the differences and how they tried to remake it, and it, for the prequels, it didn't look the same. And I didn't, you know, I didn't know all that. But my answer is ninety-five percent moved and stoked, and it was just such a special moment when it happened. The overall scene and and them connecting again, and and the wisdom that he provides, as always, when he's on screen. I mean, I loved it. I thought, you know, in, in that movie, there's definitely some some heavy moments and that might be the ultimate heavy moment. I think it's just a good, like, it's almost like a powwow for the older generation, you know, like all of us to be like, oh, cool. They're, they're Yoda's talking to old Luke now, but he's still talking to him as like a master, you know, and, and for that moment, Luke is like a kid again, you know, and Yoda's being like, hey, dude, quit looking into the horizon you got to teach Ray, blah, blah, blah. You know, like it's definitely like a cool like learning moment. And I think uh, I think a lot of that goes over some people's heads because they hate the movie so much. But I think that scene in particular is beautiful. First of all, I think just visually is rad. And then it's heavy. You know, it, it ends with that line. We are what they grow beyond. That is the true burden of all masters. You know, like that's such a heavy line. It's so good. Mm hmm. I took this, just like I said when I read it, as his physical appearance. Yeah. So I guess I'll just answer that just to throw a little variety into it. Contrary to my age, I tend to lean towards CG versions, the really well done CG versions of non-human characters over puppets for the nuance in facial expressions and the emotion that you get from someone like Maz or even prequel Yoda. I mean, compared to Maz, he does look primitive 
in CG, but I really like the nuance and it helped emotionally anchor me to those prequel films. So I think now, especially again, referencing Maz, they could have made a CG version that would have been completely seamless. They could have told people that it was the puppet and they would have believed it, especially him being a force ghost. You know, they can kind of hide behind that, that glow. They could have pulled it off and I, I would have been into that because there's something about the puppet that just didn't recast quite right in the, the foam latex recast that they did. You know what I mean? He looked a little, it looked like he had no teeth. <laughs> His mouth was a little extra puckered, you know? <laughs> There's like certain stuff that kind of took me out and I was looking at the puppet more than I was looking at Yoda and experiencing the scene. What if as a force ghost, you have no bones or teeth? Hell, <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't need to eat. Yeah. Oh God. That's a family guy cut away, just like waiting to happen. <laughs> yeah. All right. What is your favorite lightsaber duel? Ryan Cornell wants to know. Uh, Luke and Vader in Empire, mm. 100%. It's the first time you see true, unrelenting force-wielding. There's so much there. I know there's better lightsaber duels from a technical standpoint and a rehearsal standpoint, you know, moves and combos. And But I think if I look at all the films together, which one am I like, oh, shit, here it comes. That's the one. I saw Empire in theater last weekend, and I just seeing them fighting for the first time like that on screen was, man, it was amazing. I'll go with like a, almost like a recency bias tinged answer. Duel of Fates for sure. Obi and Qui Gon versus Maul. Thinking back to 1999, that's the best lightsaber duel we've seen physically. You know, like when we first saw it, it was like, oh my goodness, this is what it's all about. Like lightsaber duels choreographed, not just two old guys swinging their <laughs> lightsabers. So back then that was sick. And then obviously we've talked about it like ad nauseum on the podcast. Now having Dave Filoni's like monologue about what that lightsaber duel means definitely bumped it up a lot for me and then you get that music you get that sweet sweet john williams music i have a tough time definitively answering this question because there are so many good ones parts of snoke's throne room duel are just like i was gonna pick that one but i didn't think it counted as a duel yeah if they weren't fighting other martial arts style warriors whatever i wouldn't include it but they're doing so much lightsaber battling they're battling with their lightsabers against other individuals. So that's why, like, I count it, whereas, you know, you wouldn't count a force user just, like, repelling blaster bolts. You know what I mean? Some stuff in there is, like, very obviously choreographed, and some other stuff is just like, oh, my God, this is the best thing I've ever seen. The emotional weight of the Rise of Skywalker duel when Rey kills Ben is massive for me. Same with the Vader and Luke duel at the end of Return of the Jedi. It's, just, it's really dynamic, you know what I mean? It goes from like hiding in the shadows and all that emotional stuff to Luke completely losing his shit and almost like turning to the dark side in that moment. That guy is so good. But I think the Obi-Wan and Anakin final duel on Mustafar is probably my all-time because it, it kind of has all of those things. It's amazingly choreographed. It has a huge emotional weight. It's dynamic. It's just badass. And then Obi has a high ground. The high ground, for sure. I really do enjoy in a sense that we get, you know, however many minutes of Revenge of the Sith of Darth Vader pre-suit. Yeah. Something really cool about that. You know, like as a kid, if someone was like Darth Vader existed before the suit. Yeah. Like, oh my God, what did he look like? You know? Totally. Yeah. I remember having that exact thought the first three times that I watched it in the first 24 hours that it was out. <laughs> How cool that is. Just that concept to think about. Kevin Weiler wants to know how we feel about the High Republic era being launched over various platforms, novels, comics, young adult novels, and so on. What would we like to see live action from the High Republic? Will we see Sith, in our opinion, he's asking? And what do we think of the new lightsaber designs from everything we've seen so far? Being someone who has not been able to commit for whatever reason to the comics in a big way, waiting for them to come out and reading the next one and all the different stories... Also knowing that I think there will be kind of, he mentioned young adult novels. I think that will be a lot of it. Personally, I would prefer it to be more of a film and television thing. I think we've all talked about with each other about how we just, you know, whatever Ryan Johnson's working on, whatever Taika Waititi's working on, whatever, any of that stuff, how cool it would be if it was like old, 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 old Republic, you know, like the original Jedi, the, that, that kind of vibe. So I want to see that stuff that which answers the second question, live action. Yes, absolutely. I just think that Star Wars is a medium I, I absorb more through film than text. There are other mediums I absorb through text, but Star Wars has never really been one of them. Apart from, as I've said before, the original three Timothy Zahn books, 
the Heir to the Empire series or the Thrawn trilogy, as it's called. But I was 15 or 16 when I read those. Uh, will we see Sith? I certainly hope so and think so. I mean, if we're going to go back to the origins of some of the earliest Jedi, I think we'll get to see multiple different pairs of, of Sith, Lords and Apprentice. What do I think of the new lightsaber designs? You said, I forget what you said earlier. Oh yeah, like medieval dragon. <laughs> I put in my notes a little prequel-ish for me, but I think Adam, you put it better. They, they do feel a little, I get it. Like I get how long ago it is and there you go. There's your feeling of like medieval. It's medieval Star Wars maybe, you know? I mean, you have to differentiate it somehow, but just looking at them on paper, like the drawings of them, the renderings of them, they look a little ridiculous to me, but... Maybe maybe it's a ridiculous time of, of the Jedi, you know, maybe they're like the, at that point, they're like the Catholic Church, like they're representing a guy who didn't even wear shoes, but they're wearing solid gold crowns and <laughs> right. silk sashes, you know, so I, I don't know. Yeah, there's the one with the dual cheese cutter things on the sides. Yeah, that's the one you I know? saw yeah. that I think I referenced for this. Dude, someone called him like a toothpick flosser thing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> for me, the cross-platform thing is cool. At this point, I don't know how much I'm going to like keep up with it because of the cross-platform. I think I'll read novels and comics, you know, but reading young adult novels and whatever else there is, like, it's a bit much because I'm already behind in reading Star Wars books as it is. We'll see. It also depends. I mean, not that I need peer pressure, but if people read it before me and they're like, oh my goodness, it's amazing, you have to, then I'll be more apt yeah. to kind of subscribe to all of it. We'd love to see high live-action High Republic, of course. Any live-action Star Wars I'm going to be watching, for sure. The Sith thing is tricky because I think at this certain point, I think they might not... Not that they don't exist, but they're not known. So I, maybe we see them as, like, a reader or a viewer, but the Jedi don't know that they exist. That might be, like, an angle there. Or maybe they're just, like, bad Force users and don't know of the Sith. I don't know. There, there's definitely angles there, but there's going to be a villain... In the High Republic, I just don't know what it could possibly be other than Sith. They did release, I forgot what it, they were called, Nile? Yeah, I think they were called Nile. I think they showed what some of the bad people in the High Republic are going to look like, and they're called the Nile. They're like pirates, right? Yeah, so I don't, are they just going to be like scoundrels, you know? Like, are they just going to be pirate scoundrels, or are they going to be force-sensitive somehow? I don't know. And yeah, the lightsaber designs, I mean, that sort of thing doesn't necessarily excite me. Like, I have one lightsaber in my house. I don't need to own those things or think that they're that sweet, really. I did see one person kind of describing that one that we're talking about, though, with the toothpick flossers on the end as kind of being more like heavy duty, something more like Aragorn's sword from Lord of the Rings, kind of like a heavy duty, like this thing has like an extra long hilt with an extra long blade and it does the dirty work kind of thing, which yeah. I guess was cool as a description to have it just be the money maker, I guess. Something yeah. that be like, oh, you need me to cut this whole rock in half? All right, right. let me get this thing. <laughs> I'm really excited about the High Republic as a foundation for new movies and TV, more than anything. I will definitely, if I don't read it, I'll definitely read about it and learn about the canon as we do a lot with a lot of expanded universe stuff on the show, but mostly excited for what it means for new movies and TV. And then I would just repeat everything that these other dudes said on all the other points. <laughs> Sam Velasquez wants to know what drinks we recommend at Oga's Cantina. I went with the jet juice, the kind of spicy whiskey one. And I'm much more of a spicy whiskey type drinker than a fruity rum type drinker. They're all really tasty though. I mean, going five days in a row, you get to try them all, but <laughs> I'm going to go with the jet juice. Speaking of trying them all, when we were on tour about a year ago, we went to Galaxy's Edge in Orlando and our tour manager, Matt, in one sitting tried them all because he didn't know when he was going back. So he just yeah. ordered all of them. <laughs> Full disclosure, I drink beer when I'm in Oga's because I think it's the most bang for the buck when the goal is actually to get drunk and get a little buzzed. I just go for a couple of beers. But Fuzzy Tauntaun for me is the most fun one. I'm not a big like totally, unless it's like kill you because of the high alcohol content, like tiki drink. I'm not really a sweet drink guy. Like I love going to tiki bars for like the escapism and the fact that two tiki drinks, you'll be dead. I'll deal with sweetness then, but they're all like a little too sweet and low alcohol for me. So I'm just going for like most bang for my buck. I'm going to have like the highest alcohol percentage beer that they have there. Nick's here to party. <laughs> you ever done Star Wars but drunk? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have. <laughs> I tend to go with beer at bars as well. And if these weren't $13.25 each, I would crush like 
a dozen of any of these beers. Regardless, the Gamorrean Ale, I think I want to say was my favorite. It's the Red Ale. And then with Jet Juice, I think we ordered that a couple times. Get a Jet Juice and a beer. It's delicious. That's a good combo. God, I want to go right now. Same. (laughs) I would like happily spend like a couple thousand bucks with zero guild right now. Just I just need it emotionally. I'm also referencing my actual menu right here. Yeah, I stole. That's amazing. Which the blue, the non-alcoholic blue milk one comes with that cookie, right? That cookie is like the closest thing to a Girl Scout cookie Samoa, I want to say. Blue Bantha. Yeah, Blue Bantha. That was delicious, that cookie. I don't know if they sell them separately because I don't really, I'm not going to go into Ogas and get a non-alcoholic drink. They sell them <laughs> somewhere else in Galaxy's Edge, I remember, because nice. Ashley Eckstein was telling me before I went, she was like, you have to eat a Bantha cookie. You have to get yeah, a Bantha yeah. cookie. So good. Treats. She didn't sound like that. I don't know why I just made her sound like a, like an old, <laughs> scary, you have to eat a bantha cookie. That's not what Ashley Eckstein sounds like. <laughs> I don't know why I did that. So again, you guys, uh, just letting you know, based on Adam's last comment about just willing to light some money on fire, I live two hours away. It's open. Beach house is open. <laughs> Come on down. Oh, dude, I, I like need it emotionally. Yeah. Hondo Supply says, let's talk bass. Punk alternative music often hides some really talented musicians. And upon hearing Jason Black's bass line in Drag My Body, I'm not familiar with any of this. Hot Water Music? Yeah, I don't know the song, but that's Hot Water Music. He says, I'm curious as to which bass players are serious talents that don't get the credit they deserve. Um, I'm going to defer to the not one, but two bass players (laughs) that I host this show with. Uh, I'm going to go my answer, bringing up Saves the Day. They've had a couple of bass players and they've all been excellent. I don't play bass that way, but I appreciate it. Full on with my personality, I'm here to support the band. I don't play bass to stick out necessarily, but I don't comprehend. Basically from through being cool on, Saves the Day has had three, four maybe amazing bass players. Shred shred house. Yeah, just shred all in their own way, but all bring the same thing to the band. And some of the stuff is, especially the Manny years, he's... The ultimate bass shredder. So, so Rod, good. Their yeah. bass player now is they're Rod. Oh, dude, you, so watching him live is like yeah, it's yeah. Uh, it's not. I mean, touring with them and also doing like yeah, Rod plays bass. It's like well, if that's playing bass, I don't know what I'm doing then. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's not real. <laughs> yeah, like the way he, how into it he, like into the show he yeah. is, and like the way he moves with his body while he's playing. But yeah, then, it's like, oh, you're a musician. Oh, but then what he's doing with the instrument <laughs> is like what, bro? <laughs> I feel like we've answered a similar question here so i'm trying to i was trying to think of somebody i was trying to answer this as like directly as possible somebody in punk alternative adjacent genres that overlap with ours who just isn't a standout person as far as like the mainstream perception of the band goes and i think i think matt rubano's time in taking back sunday is like so significant he's phenomenal period as a bass player and he fully leveled up Taking Back Sunday. Like, his presence single-handedly changed that band, in my opinion. Remember he used to go back and, like, mash his head into the kick drum, yeah. the front of the <laughs> kick drum, while he was playing? Yeah. So sick. We were playing, like, the smallest side stage at a festival in the UK, and TBS was, like, at their height, playing in front of 13,000 people. And Adam swung his mic and knocked Matt Rubano out. Whoa. <laughs> Just straight up knocked him out. Oh I think that I think vaguely I remember them taking a little bit of a break, maybe playing without him for a song or two, and then he came back out. But he just straight up from Holy like thirty fuck. feet, like it was a big stage, so Adam was just swinging that thing like crazy and uh, knocked Matt right out. Wow, Holy shit, <laughs> that's brutal. I'm gonna like just ever so slightly throw the tiniest bit of shade to then follow it up with a compliment. Before him, just like my band, they were just like kind of a loose mess of a live band. Amazing presence, amazing show, but like musically just kind of loose. Let's be honest. I mean, my band sounded like we were falling down the stairs with our instruments for the first couple of years. So I know what that's like. But him joining that band and like tightening up the rhythm section instantly made them like a world-class, like mainstream potential band, like overnight. I love that band, dude. They're, they're one of the only bands in the scene, I'm air quoting, scene that I ever got into. I was never really into this, the bands that kind of were around what we were doing. Yeah, just for my own inspiration and own taste but i always love taking back sunday every record i just i love that band no no better shepherd to the scene you know like yeah yeah they're yeah. the ultimate like representation i don't listen to very much rock music these days but I, I will still rip louder now every once in a while it's just so good that eric valentine drums and just man what a record 
Uh, one more question from Hondo Supply. What are some of the ways we think that they could expand the experience in Galaxy's Edge? Do you guys know, correct me if I'm wrong, that they are not already working on this, but my answer is virtual reality. I thought I saw somewhere that they're already working on some kind of in-park VR experience. They did pull the funding or not renew the funding for the void. Well, the void got kicked out of downtown Disney for violating some kind of terms of their agreement. That's what happened there. Yeah. Yeah. I I thought I saw something about uh, an actual experience in park. I could be totally wrong, but nonetheless, that's my answer. After doing it at the void and knowing the, the difference in funding that Walt Disney world would have versus the void VR company would have, I mean, that's the next level of amusement park. I mean, it has to be. That's the next yeah. thing that's coming, you know, is... Or AR or... I mean, good luck with uh, pandemic life, everyone sharing goggles and whatever else. <laughs> but I think that, yeah. I mean, just imagine, dude, a Disney level, huge map, you know, huge walkthrough mm-hmm. type level thing where you're in, on some adventure. Just, man, that would be... I mean, again, having done Secrets of the Empire at Void VR... I just can't imagine on what level it would be to do it in park, you know, with the production they would put together for it. Now that there's the tech for you not have to be like tethered Mm -hmm. by a cable to anything, you can kind of free roam. I just think it could be off the charts, man. So that would be my vote for what I'd like to see next at Galaxy's Edge. I don't really see another like giant ride coming anytime soon, you know? Yeah, I feel like that would be years down the road. I would like to see different eras of Batu, not because the one we have isn't good enough or wanes in like energy as far as like what people are excited about being in between Last Jedi and Rise of Skywalker. I think it would be really cool down the road for it to be like, for instance, in the second Thrawn book, like Anakin and Thrawn are on Batu, you know, like looking for Padme. I think really the only thing that wouldn't, I guess the Millennium Falcon, you'd need to come up with a reason why it would be there. And then the First Order ship that's there. But I think just throw it to a different time period and you could get clone troopers in there or whatever, you know, like that that type of thing. Being like, all right, for the next year, we're going to be in the Clone Wars era of Batu, you know, and like it just right. give it a whole other skin, basically. I wonder if they ever think that that needs to happen and they're sitting around going like, oh, shit. You know, because yeah. because of the yeah. Millennium Falcon and the yeah, and the yeah. First Order ship, they're going like we have really pigeonholed ourselves here into yeah. a, a non-expandable. Well, it would exist, I guess, right? Because as early as was it? Did we talk about on the Revenge of the Sith episode? There's like a little Easter egg of a Millennium Falcon, but technically, it's not Han. It's like another, yeah, so, another YT. So yeah. they they would exist as far back as then, I guess. I yeah, I feel like they could, if anything, just swap out where the what is it the tie interceptor yeah yeah swap that out with something else and leave the falcon and they could you know bounce within 30 years totally back and forth easily but like i said i don't want it to be because no one's going to galaxy's edge and they have to like (laughs) right you know i want it to be like oh we have this great idea we're doing it you know i would love to see it just written into new stories i mean from a business standpoint like if you see that on a screen people are going to go nuts and go to the park like put it in how is it not in mandalorian season two i don't know if it is but Throw it in there. Well, dude, I I think it's unlikely for them to do full overhauls anytime soon. I think like five, 10 years at the soonest. Yeah. But the chances of them just going and shooting stuff there Mm -hmm. for other shows, just knowing that, yeah, the Falcon could be sitting there around the time of the Mandalorian. That's around when like, I guess, Hondo and Chewie and Han may have like met up. Mm -hmm. Why not? Like how amazing would it be to actually see that physical place that exists in the world on screen? Totally. It would just, I think that's almost cooler. Like if Disney obviously wants to print money when it comes to star Wars, like throw that puppy on the big screen. Come on. Yeah. I think I would almost like that more. Yeah. But, uh, in park, I would love to see more non-human cast members. I kind of expected there to be a few aliens. I'd love to see like a Twi'lek or something. And, I want an X-Wing ride. Maybe mm. that's the VR thing. They put everybody in cockpits and put some kind of like custom VR helmet on. God, that'd be badass. Mike Matarisi, my old friend Mike from Monty RI, has a halfway <laughs> serious question. When will you be making an original Star Wars-inspired soundtrack for the podcast? And how many bass solos? I can only answer the first part. <laughs> and uh, it has to be when this podcast is my full-time job. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to be bass soloing, so unless you are, Adam, it's going to be zero. <laughs> no solos, just all bass. No other instruments. <laughs> the whole thing. Like spinal tap. <laughs> it's going to be like a 60-piece orchestra of only bass. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nick Alfieri 
is going to Galaxy's Edge for the first time soon. And given the recent changes due to COVID, he wants to know what's the one thing he should try to do and put at the absolute top of his list to experience while on World. Yeah, so he's saying given the recent changes, meaning that Disney World is open. I think he's also saying like if he has limited time because... Oh, yeah, I guess there's that. You know well, what I mean? Like what does he have to make sure he does first? Get there at 5 a.m., buddy, and be ready to get on Rise of the Resistance. That's, yep. that's all there is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you still have to get a boarding pass, which means you have to be there when the gates open and get on the app and get into a boarding group um, and explains it all in the Disney app. But that's what you go for now that it's open. What Ryan said. <laughs> that's my answer. Facts only. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's not fair that I get to go first because, I mean, duh. <laughs> I mean, that is. Right. Like there's ABY and BBY. There's like before Rise of the Resistance, after Rise of the Resistance. <laughs> yeah. Like it's two different places. <laughs> for like sure. It, that ride generated so much energy for Galaxy's Edge. It's an experience. Yes, technically it's a ride, but it's a full-blown experience. And you can't not do that. Honestly, if you got to do nothing else, you would still have the best day of your life doing only that ride. Clifford Alba, wrapping it up. He says, would you rather be a very skilled and famous bounty hunter like Din Djarin, but you're actually a small alien in a droid's body, or be a well-known Jedi on the council, but your powers are faked like Mysterio in Spider-Man? I'm thinking here that we're going with human versus alien. That's just where my head went. If if the Jedi version is what it is, I'm a human, and the other one, I'm a tiny alien in... Uh, it's like, uh, what's the action series where the people are operating the like giant war robots, Pacific Rim or something? Yeah, yeah, yeah John yeah. Boyega was in the sequel. Yeah, yeah, it's like that, but a human size bounty hunter, right? You're the little alien. Or in Men in Black, isn't there a little alien inside uh, yes, a head? Yeah. So I'm just thinking about the things that I enjoy as a human versus being a tiny alien in a robot's body. And I have a couple of points here. So Je- I'm going Jedi, even though my powers are faked. Right on the level that Mysterio is faking them. I mean, that's you're moving shit around somehow. It looks like you're able to use the force. Here's the thing Mysterio was evil. Okay. So all that was being used for bad. So it's a bad thing. You don't want to do that. If I'm faking my powers, but I'm a Jedi, it's all for good. I'm using my fake powers to do good things. So I think even if you get busted, they're going to be like, that's not allowed, but you also saved that planet yesterday. So like you're fired but thanks, you know? <laughs> so I'm going with yeah. human Jedi fake powers. Honorably discharged. Disgraced magistrate. Um, <laughs> hey, you just changed my mind. I'm going to go with you. That was a good answer. Hey, man, thanks. I, I put a lot <laughs> of thought into it. I like that. Because, you know, I was kind of like, it's this weird, like, antagonist-protagonist thing. It's like Din Djarin potentially is, leans more towards, like, crime. You know, he's a bounty hunter, so he's in the bad guy land a little bit. But we're obviously going to see him become a little bit more of the actual protagonist, probably. But I didn't think about, you know, you're, you're a Jedi. Even though it's fake, you're going to be helping. I like that answer. What Ryan said, again. So I didn't know anything about Mysterio, because I'm not... Spider-Man's not really my thing. I just said Spider-Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's Spider-Man. <laughs> So I'm totally unfamiliar with Mysterio, but based on that limited description, I have a question. Does he just use a lot of technology? Yeah, it's all tech. Yes. Okay. Which is no different than like Thor. Well, you know what I mean? In some way, like they have a lot of fucking technology. He's not just like, yeah, but he doesn't have just have magic powers. It right? would be more and, like Batman than Thor. Thor is, is a god. Thor has power from the gods. But isn't it all technically just technology? Like the old saying, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah, they, I mean, they do you know? have a, a lot of tech in that world. But I'm just saying like Thor's hammer and all that. He's like the god of thunder. I mean, it's like a, it's more of a deity type thing in the bloodline. It's more related to bloodline. That's what I'm trying to say. In Thor's world, it's more of like no one else can do what he does because he's from his family. But Mysterio is like... Like Doctor Strange style? He's like Batman on steroids. Even Doctor Strange is using power, mind power. Mysterio is using like actual circuitry, like technology. MCU Doctor Strange is all ultimately physics-based though. And it's all ultimately like technology. Yes, but I'm saying... Is it not that way in the comics? He learns how 
to do what he does through learning the power of, I'd have to look it up because you're going to make me sound like an idiot on the podcast. But he's using like those, he's got the, the stone and that as power. So he's, it, it is a power source. Yeah, but you, but you have to, you, you have to be able to harness that power with your mind. It's kind of the, that's what I'm trying to say. You have to learn how to use it. But it's not magic though, right? Technically, because like, since there is power in there and it's enough power that. I mean, the stones are magic. It's arguable. The stones are kind of superhero-y type vibe. Don't ruin the Avengers for me, man. I can't fuck with magic. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> okay, so if he is a really super badass tech-using Batman kind of dude, I could get behind that. The way I first interpreted this, which made me want to not go with Jedi, is that he was more like that professor in Harry Potter that's just a fraud. Yeah, Gilderoy Lockhart. So that's how I perceived this idea of, of being a fake Jedi at first. If it's not that, and it's more like you just have badass technology and you're just kind of, you're faking it technically, but you're still doing awesome stuff. I could get behind that a little more. Mysterio is a, uh, he's a former special effects artist. That's kind of oh. the, the background story. So it's his whole thing is an illusion right. and like masking things. It's like practical magic. David Copperfield style magic yeah. is what he uses as his powers. Depending on how effective it could actually be in practice versus like an illusion, that would be the deciding factor to me. So it's hard to say because as dope as it would be to be a Jedi and hang with real Jedi, I would still just hate to be a fraud. Mm. I was thinking more about like when you go home from work at night, you're still a human. That was part of my thought process too. You're not some, as it was put, tiny alien that has to like shut down and climb out of your robot suit to go into whatever little hole in the ground you sleep in. No. I mean, what if you got a little tiny alien wife and you're just happy? Uh, maybe. I mean, think about how sweet it would be to pilot one of those giant robots. There you go. See, so you have found justification for yourself and your tiny alien wife to live a happy life together. <laughs> and I'm, I'm happy for you both. Invite <laughs> us over sometime. <laughs> I'll invite you guys over to accidentally step on our house when you show up. <laughs> <laughs> they're over here somewhere. It's like, oh, stepped on them. Yeah, they're dead. <laughs> All right. That's going to wrap it up. Keeping it kind of short this time. We do want to remind you what we said at the beginning. We're going to have some changes coming up. And we're going to simplify things. It'll kind of be a reboot, so to speak, of Patreon. We definitely want to make some of the stuff available to more people. We want to make it more predictable. I don't want to speak in too specific terms because we're still kind of trying to iron some things out. But it's going to be cooler. We'll say that much. Everyone's getting a car. <laughs> Just one car. Everyone's each. getting a trip to Disney World. <laughs> if you're looking for the podcast on social media, you can find us on Instagram at ThankTheMakerPod. You can find us on Twitter at thankthemaker one my personal stuff is all at Adam the Skull. Mine is at William Ryan Key. My Instagram and Twitter is at Nick Bayside. And if you don't follow me, I'm going to start dressing like I did in the year 2001. And <laughs> that means I'm going to wear like rainbow flip flops and long jeans that get like you step on them in the back and they get crusty. Abercrombie. And then, yeah. I'm going to start dressing like Abercrombie. All right, guys. So if you don't follow me and I start looking like that, it's all your fault. Please follow him because the Ahsoka t-shirt he's wearing <laughs> right now is really badass and I don't want to lose that. Yeah. I'll be throwing this in the garbage and buying a new pair of rainbows. Well, until next week or until Nick's makeover, <laughs> may the force be with you. Yeah.